achieve great things for the Lord are the ones who when the call comes, they step up. So the mark of a leader is what? Those that heard and said, those that heard and said, Lord, I'm here, use me. Those that heard and they stepped up. And you don't have to be you know, gifted in the beginning. You just have to be available. The greatest gift you can offer God, the greatest ability you can offer the Lord is your availability. Step up. Thank you for sharing that. That's the mark of a leader. You know what I used to do many times is when I would teach a leadership seminar, I would go into church early and I would turn the place upside down, throw the chairs everywhere, you know, I'd turn tables over, you know, put litter all over the ground, and then I'll get in the pulpit and then I'll watch. And here's what I noticed certain people would come and they'll only fix the chair they're going to sit on. So they'll, yeah, and then they sit. Other people will see a piece of paper on the ground and they're, ah, you know, but other people would come in and the first thing they'll do is, can we make a row here? And can we make another row? They instantly begin to take over and they want to do things right. That's the mark of leadership is what? Stepping up when nobody else is. If you have that character and that attitude at your workplace, if you have that character in your neighborhood, if you have that character in your town, the thing the Lord showed us when we were in Putnam, Connecticut, the Lord showed us that we had to step up. So we went to the mayor of our town and we said, sir, I've got, I've got business people in my church. So we went, can, can you open up the local projects, the local housing projects in there? I want to do a job fair. Why? I want the people in my church that own businesses to come and train the people in, in, in the projects that, don't, that think that unless the government takes care of them, nobody can take care of them. So we went and we did a job fair at Hampshire Heights, which was the projects in our, in, our, in our little town. The people there were blessed. The Lord caused entrepreneurs to be born. What was that? Stepping up in our community. It's not enough to be a church on, your, on, on, on the address you are right now. You have to be a blessing to that entire community. Amen. How? Stepping up. Occasionally having a clean up day, just go and clean the streets. Tell the mayor, of course. You want the mayor to know. Amen. And the chief of police. We want to do a clean up. There's so much litter on such and such a street. We, as a church, we just go, what are, it's stepping up. It's showing leadership. Amen. You don't need a special lightning bolt and a special anointing, brother. No. Just step up. So thank you for that. What else have we learned? Yes, sir. Ask God to use you outside of your natural talent. Because what? Because the most talented day you have, you're still not talented enough to do the work of God. The work of God takes what is called an anointing. That's why when the Lord will call kings, what did he do? He anointed them. Anointed David. Why? Because the Lord was saying your talent is not enough. I want to use you beyond your ability. But I will help you by what? By giving you my spirit. What does the Holy Ghost do? He gives you that extra edge that enables you to do stuff that your natural talent cannot get. That's why if you remember when David sinned against God, the sin of Bathsheba, he took another man's wife and they arranged for the murder of that man. And he was confronted by the prophet Nathan who confronted him because of his sin. And David, as a response to that confrontation, he wrote Psalm 51. Amen. Uh, it, 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 it says what? You know, against you and you only have I sinned. So here's what happens. In Psalm 51... Here's what David never begs God to preserve his throne. He never said, Lord, please preserve my throne so that my children can sit on the throne. He didn't say, Lord, please preserve my kingship. He never asked for any of that. The one thing he asked for is what? Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Why would David ask that? He knew that what made him good as a king was the help that came from the Spirit of God. 
he knew that if you take the Holy Ghost away from David, he was just a common boy, unable, unskilled. But when the Holy Ghost is upon him, he gave him the edge to become a great king. So that's why when he sinned, the only thing he begged God for, he says, Father, whatever you do, cast me not away from your presence. That's number one. Number two, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Why? Because, Father, they will find out I am less than ordinary without the Holy Ghost. Amen. So, what does the Holy Ghost do? He helps you operate outside of your natural ability, outside of your natural gift, outside of your natural skill. The Holy Ghost empowers you to honor a heavenly standard that you as a human being cannot honor by yourself. What else did we learn? Anybody else? Yes, sir. Love changes the way you see. Love affects your eyes. Are we okay? When you, when you don't walk in love, you're overwhelmed by fear. And fear makes you see the negative. Everything is negative. Ah, people, you know me, I don't trust people. Yeah, you're lacking in love. Because you know what? When you, when you love, you just learn to trust. Why? Even if they stab you in the back, you still show them trust. You still give them an opportunity. You still give them a chance. Love affects the way you look at anything. Because there are two areas in, in, in the whole arena of seeing. There's something called sight. There's something else called perception. Perception is more important than sight. What is perception? Point of view. The way you see things. So if your perception is that God cannot help you, God cannot help you. When Jesus went to Nazareth, their perception, they looked at Jesus with a perception that considered him ordinary and unable to help them. And what does the Bible say? He performed no mighty miracles there because of their unbelief. When love is in your heart, it changes the way you see. Everyone that everybody else has given up on, you will still believe that God can use them. People that everyone says they will never give their life to Jesus, you will still believe that the Lord can touch their heart. Because love affects your sight. So when the love of God comes in your heart, poor people become meaningful to you. You want to help them and you want to see them do well. Including family members that you used to not like or didn't want to talk to them. Your heart goes out to them. You find yourself praying for people that would otherwise betray you. People that would stab you in the back. In order for you to walk in ministry, I'm telling you, let me just tell you this. In order for you to show any dimension of leadership, the most powerful weapon you carry is love. If you don't have it, ministry is not, it's probably not for you. Because you have to find beauty in ugly places. When people have talked bad about you, when they have maligned you, they talk bad about your children, you still have to be able to look at them and find something beautiful in them. You still have to be able to see the potential of God using them. You still have to. When I, when, when I was younger in ministry, here's what happened. I, I moved into a new town. And when I moved into that town, I found favor with the pastor of the church. I wasn't working in ministry at that time. I was working my secular job. But my job moved me into a town and I started to, uh, to attend a church. Well, in this church, there was a young man that was only a year younger than me. And, uh, and I found out he couldn't read. He struggled reading. This is in Zimbabwe, so we didn't know about dyslexia. We didn't know that somebody could see letters backwards. We always thought, you know, he, he just can't read, right? Always put in special class. So when I found this young brother, who was just a year younger than me, uh, you know, young white guy, I'm in, in, in one of the most racial parts of my country, 
Zimbabwe used to be a British colony, so we have a white population, black population, and mixed. Well, when I was there, I started helping Daniel after church every, every afternoon, after, after work, rather. I used to go by his house and would spend about an hour or two learning to read, teaching him how to read, praying over him. He started to do better and better and better. But I didn't know that his father did not like me. His father was an elder in the church. And for some reason, he didn't like me. I don't know what it is. Never did anything against the man. But he just looked at me and did not like me. So I was working, I was a manager in this, in, in, for, for, for the company I was working for. Then I went to our head office. Our head office was 250 miles away in the capital city of Harare. And as soon as I got there, I went into, remember I told you about Terence, my, my, my boss, the marketing manager. I went into Terence's office. And Terence was on the phone with somebody. I didn't know who it was. So as soon as I walked in, Terence went like this. And he put the phone on speaker. And it was the elder from my church. And here's what the elder from my church was saying. He was saying to my company, why did you promote that kid? He says, your reputation is ruined in this town. That boy doesn't know what he's doing. He's just driving around all day in a company car. And you see, that elder worked for one of my primary clients in that entire region. A major um, sugarcane plantation um, processing plant called Hippo Valley Estates. He was one of the chief engineers at Hippo Valley Estates. So if he had, if he called my head office to complain about it, I'll get fired. Because they were that important of a client for my company. And for 30 minutes I heard the elder in my church trying to get me fired. That boy is like this and that boy is like that. And he has no, you know, you, you know, you ruined your reputation. How can you promote a 21-year-old? Nobody has ever held that position that was less than 30 years old. It was always respectable members of society. Now you've got this 21-year-old kid who doesn't know what he's doing. And I'm listening to this and my heart is breaking. Because that's the elder whose son I was helping after work every day. So I went to the Lord and I said, Father, how do I deal with this? And I thought the Lord, you see, for some of us, you think you are justified in holding unforgiveness. You think you're justified in being angry at certain people. But when you're a child of God, you are always called to the love walk. The Lord will always call you to the love walk. Why? Because love affects your eyes. And because love affects your perception, it affects your ability to minister. So do you know what the Lord told me? We're going to love him. First of all, he told me, don't tell him you know what he did. Don't tell him you heard that conversation. So what's going to happen? Love and respect him every time you see him. So I traveled back to the capital city, rather to, to, to Chirezi where I lived, and I saw this brother. And I went up to greet him. And when he shook my hand, I pulled him in, and I gave him a big old hug. I'm talking about a real hug, you know. One of those where you tuck right in there, you know, just hug him. And he was like this. And I could tell that he was, you know. So every time I saw him, I hugged him, everywhere. I would see him across the street and said, Uncle, wait, 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 wait. And he would try and duck into an alley, and I'm following him. Amen. I get there, I give him more hug, show him love. After a while, he began to warm up to me. So when I would hug him, he was like, then he began to smile a little, then he began. And then before you know it, he began to hug me back. He's going on to be with the Lord right now. But the Lord taught me one of the most powerful lessons. By the time that this brother died, we were, he was a great uncle to me. He was a man that I looked up to. But more than just that, but his son is one of my chief intercessors. That boy will pray for me at a drop of a hat. And here's what the Lord taught me. The power of the love walk will always supersede anything that the devil will do. So what? He died without knowing. I heard that you tried to get me fired. Never told him. Are you okay? We good? Because God is not going to ask you to do the easy thing. You know, not loving, hating, that's easy. Loving is difficult because parents, you have to show love to that child that is breaking your heart, that child that is disappointed, that child that has walked away. Maybe you are that child. 
But what does love do? Love maintains a walk of integrity before God and it keeps on loving no matter how people treat you. You continue to treat them with sweetness. You continue to see the beauty of God in them. You consider to consider them valuable because they are made in the image and the likeness of God. And that's, you'll find out that is true what the Bible says, that love never fails. Love has not lost a battle yet. There's not one battle that love has lost. Not one. Love doesn't lose. We okay? Okay. So I guess we understand about the love walk. What else did we learn? Come on. Purpose defeats death. Amen. I always tell men of God, and I, say, and I have to repeat this. Don't stop being useful for the kingdom of God until there's no retirement for the kingdom of God. You may move to something else, but we don't retire. That means what? In every capacity and in every age, you have an opportunity to pour into the next generation. You have an opportunity to love them and to raise them up. Why? Because as long as your purpose is alive, death cannot touch you. It has no hold on you. Why? Because your purpose will... It says what? Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the purpose of God that prevails. Do you know what that word prevail means? It means that overcomes in battle. Meaning your destiny and your purpose will fight the thing that's trying to destroy you. And as long as your purpose is alive, your purpose will always prevail. So walk according to purpose. Ah, what if I'm tired? Walk tired. You're not the first one who's been tired. And you're not the last. Stay in purpose. Ah, brother, you know, uh, what if, you know, I, you know, nobody else is doing this, it's only me. Oh, good for you. Keep on. Oh, you know, I just want a, you know, some people, I just want a sabbatical. Here's what I found out about my sabbaticals. I usually feel more tired in a sabbatical than I feel when I'm working. Have you ever taken a vacation and then you had to go back to work to rest from your vacation? Anybody? Am I the only one who's ever been tired in a vacation? Right? All the time. Stay on purpose. Why? Your purpose is the area of your greatest protection. Because I believe the Lord, the Lord sends an entourage of angels that maintain your purpose. Because you're still not yet done. When you're not done, nobody can touch you. Not a person, not a human being, not a demon can touch you. When you're standing in the middle of your purpose. That means what's the greatest gift you can give to your children and your grandchildren? To teach them to discover the purpose of God for their life and to walk in it. You don't have to cry, Lord, please protect them. Their purpose will protect them. The most powerful thing you, can, you and I can walk in is the purpose of God for our life. What is the purpose of God? We are in the house of God. We're glorifying God. We are engaged in the kingdom of God. We're doing what we're doing. You know, we, it's, it's pastor at your age in the water, getting rained on, but still baptizing. Purpose. Others would have canceled. Ah, let's cancel, you know, rain. You know, uh, we have to wait for better weather. No, the old man is in the water there. In the name of Jesus, why? Because your purpose keeps you alive. Don't ever drop it. Keep on walking in it. I'm speaking prophetically right now. Some of you think you, can, you are hearing me, but you're not. I want you to hear me from your heart. Because I'm just dropping something the Lord is telling me for you that is going to give you the longevity and length of days. Purpose. What else did we learn? What you see in the kingdom of God is what you get. That's why whether it was Amos or Jeremiah, the Lord would always ask the prophet this question. Son of man, what do you see? And until he saw what God was showing, God would not speak. You say, son of man, what do you see? I see an almond branch. This is what it means. Behold, I will hasten my word to perform it. What is the Lord saying? He shows something and only when the prophet sees what God is showing, that's when he's able to access it. If you don't see it, you cannot have it. In the kingdom of God, what you see is what you get. 
That's why it was said about Jesus. What as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, you know, Matthew chapter chapter uh, rather John chapter three from verse twelve. We like John three sixteen, but when you read from twelve of, of um, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Why? Because it's so that anyone who believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world. What does it mean? Christ was lifted into an elevated place so that we might look and live. As you behold him, you become like him. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, but it has not yet appeared what we shall be. But this we know, that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. Why? For we shall see him as he is. Do you know how you're going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye? It's when you behold him, when you look upon him, you will be made into his very likeness. Because in the kingdom of God, what you see is what you get. Are we okay? That's why you pray for your eyes. Lord, show me. Show me the things you are showing me. I'm tired of seeing what the devil is showing me. I'm tired of seeing what the world is showing me. That's why everybody in this world is going after something that I will call your attention. Do you know that your attention is the most valuable thing you possess? Because whatever you give your attention to, you begin to attract its likeness. So your attention, the, the entire marketing industry, multi-billion dollar industry in marketing, the only thing it wants is just a little bit of your attention. Why do they pay 13, 14 million dollars for a 30 second advertisement during the Super Bowl? Because it can get to more attention. More eyes are looking. So that's why the ratings are high. The devil wants your attention, but before the devil ever wanted your attention, God is seeking for your attention. What is your attention? Is where your eyes are. What are you looking at? Are we okay? Do you know what worship is? How many of you know, why do we worship? Talk to me. Why do you think, why do you think we worship? We ask, yeah, why do we worship? Yeah, to, yeah, to thank Jesus for forgiving our sins. You're awesome, man. You're absolutely wonderful. What is worship? Worshiping him because of who he is? So what does that mean? We look upon him as he is. Why do we say he's mighty? Why do we say when we worship, Lord, you are mighty? Why do we say that? Because he is mighty. Why do we say he's wonderful? Because he is wonderful. So what are we doing when we are worshiping? We are just paying attention. To what, to what he already is. You are not telling God what he's not. You are telling him what he is. Why do the angels in his presence cry holy? Because he's holy. So as they see his holiness, they cry out. Then the question is, but why does the Lord want us to look upon him accurately? Because the more we behold him, the more we take on the likeness of him we are looking at. That's why if you look in scripture, the worshippers in scripture, Abraham was a worshipper, Moses was a worshipper, David was a worshipper. And what you will find in Abraham, in Moses, and in David is that their heart began to be more and more like the heart of God because they were worshippers. Because they looked upon him all the time. They were taking on his character and his nature. Worship is not about saying fancy things to God. Worship is got to do with looking upon him and describing what you see. Because as you see it, the nature and the character of him you are looking at begins to enter into you. And before you know it, you are nicer than you used to be. Before you know it, you're showing compassion to people you used to hate. Before you know it, you're showing generosity when you used to be stingy. What's happening? You're becoming more like him. Why? Because in worship, you are beholding him. What you see 
is what you get. Are we okay? What else did we learn? I know whole Sunday service was just recapping, Pastor. I had, I had other things, but what else did we learn? Yes, sir. Don't be consumers. Here's what the Lord says in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse something. Uh, let me find it for you very quickly. Deuteronomy chapter 28 is the Lord was declaring, and Moses was declaring what we call the blessing, you know, of, of, of following God. Here's what he says. Ah. Come on, Felix. Verse 13. And the Lord says what? You shall be the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not beneath. How many of you are in production? In any, anything that's production related? Product management or anything like that? Anybody? Okay. You know, when you talk about a supply chain, right? What is a supply chain or the, 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 a product line? You have... You, when you have a raw material that goes through or even just in, in, from a commercial basis you have a supplier on one end and then you have what a consumer on the other hand the head is the supplier the tail is the consumer the lord was telling israel i want to make you what the supplier and not the consumer why because what happens is this the relationship between the supplier and the consumer is that the money goes up and the product comes down where does the wealth go up toward the supplier that's why the suppliers have more money than you why you as the consumer are the poorest member of the supply chain it the money goes so so when the lord was saying that to israel he was letting the israelites know and understand this they have lived this since god said that to them the jews have been persecuted for two thousand straight years and more than once they lost all their wealth they lost their wealth during the Inquisition. They lost their wealth during the Roman invasion of AD 70. They lost their wealth during the time of Hitler. But they always bounce back. Because what? Because they understand the blessing of being the head and not the tail. So when they go into a community, they are not the best consumers in the community. They become the best suppliers in that community. Because they always work their way up the supply chain. Banking, they are in charge. Three quarters of the world's wealth is controlled by one third of one percent of the world's population because they understand the principle of headship and tailship. So, what do we mean by that? <laughs> if I need a good song for worship, I can wait for somebody to compose it. Consumer. Or I can say, Lord, give me a song so that I might learn how to worship you. And the Lord might give you an idea. I and in a yola mende pularti, and the eshu yetranaraman. Amen. 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 You see, somebody came up with that. We love it when we worship with their song, but somebody was on the supply side, and we that are on the consumer side, we don't know the ache and the pain of writing that composition. But the one who wrote that song knows what they were going through. They know the pain they were experiencing. So, what is the Lord calling you to do? Don't always be a consumer of other people's revelation. If the only time you get to understand scripture is when I'm telling you, you've got it wrong. You've got to spend time with the Lord, what? Going up the supply chain. So that the Lord can give you revelation. So the next time I visit, you've got something to say, and I sit down and take notes. Oh, I prophesy that day. I'm looking forward to that day when I come, and I don't have to preach. Pastor doesn't have to preach. Somebody in the audience will get a word from God. How does that work? You've stopped being just a consumer. Give me, give me, give me. Preach to me. Lay hands on me. Bless me. Bless me. No. You have got to be a source of blessing. 
you have got to be a source of revelation you have got to be somebody that teaches others you have got to be somebody that blesses others can i tell you something about abraham when abraham in genesis chapter 12 that's what i was going to teach you this morning in genesis 12 the lord approached abraham with a proposal if you've got genesis 12 can you just put it up there from verse 1 the lord approached abraham with a proposal he says what get thee out of thy house thy country get thee out of what thy father's house and go to a place i'm going to show you and what the lord said to abraham go from your country oh you could be speaking to you and i this morning my brother you said um when, when you're testifying before your baptism what's your name again sir my name is Ralph. Ralph? Yeah, when you, when you were testifying before, you, you said, you know, sometimes I read the, the Bible and I don't really understand. Do you know the secret to reading the Bible? Is when you're reading about Abraham, know that you're not reading about Abraham. Because everything that is happening in the relationship with Abraham is telling you something about your relationship with God. Do you know that Abraham never read the book of Genesis? Do you know why? It was written hundreds of years after he died. So if the story was written after he died, why was that story in there? Because it was not for him. It was for you and me. So whenever you read about Abraham, look for clues about how God relates to a man. And then you say, what? If God can do this to Abraham, that's the secret. So now you see, the Lord said to Abraham, Abraham, go from your country. Who has been there? I, I identify with that. Amen. Any of you that are in here, my brother, even with your people, they came from their old country. And they journeyed to this nation. Why? They are, they are, this is the, the, the tale of the immigrant, what we call the hungry immigrant. Get out, the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, from your people and from your father's house to the land I will show you. Carry on. And what will happen? He says, um, and the Lord says, go from your country and says, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. And I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Let me tell you what Abraham accepted. Abraham, when God invited, was not just accepting the call to be blessed. Because to be blessed is to be a consumer. He was accepting the call to be a blessing. To be a blessing means you've gone up the supply chain. So he was not just saying, yes, Lord. He didn't leave his country to be blessed. He left his country to be blessed so that he might be a blessing. Because Lord, notice what the Lord says. The Lord says what? I will make you a great nation. Wonderful. Okay, thank you, Lord. I will bless you and make your name great. Okay, wonderful. So that you will be a blessing. Next verse. I will bless those who bless you and whom who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, what? All the families of the earth shall be blessed. What was Abraham accepting? The call to bless the entire family of men. It wasn't about just consuming. Oh, bless me, Lord. Lord, bless me. So that what? It was a desire to be a blessing. It was a desire to be such a blessing that every family of the earth will be blessed because of me. When the Lord told him that, he packed his camels and he left the Ur of Chaldees to go to an unknown country because he said, I accept this assignment. The assignment of what? It's not enough. You cannot just get me to be blessed. I do want to walk in blessing, but it's not enough. Why? I want to be so blessed that in turn I am a blessing. You didn't come here to get a good job, to live in a good neighborhood, to have a nice car, and a good health plan. You came here 
And the Lord has blessed you in this strange land because the Lord desires for you to then be a blessing. Are we okay? I know some people that are happy just being blessed. Oh, thank you, thank you, Katawa. Thank you so much for blessing me. For ble- no, the biggest calling is to be a blessing. You will never feel more alive in this life than you will feel when you're blessing someone else. How many of you have ever given to somebody who you know can never give you anything back? How, many of, how good have you felt when you gave? Felt amazing. Do you know why? Because you are naturally hardwired to be blessed by blessing. Have you ever given to a poor, to somebody poor, or somebody who was in, a, in, in problems? And as you gave, the joy of giving was greater than anything they could give you. Anybody ever felt that? If you've never felt that, I want to invite you to the way uh, how others of us live. I have found out nothing will give you greater joy than when you're a blessing. Do you know why? It's because in that moment that you're a blessing, you are taking on to the calling of Abraham. You are becoming like our God. You're becoming like our Father. There's a, there's a family, in, in my own family, that hurt our family very badly. Hurt my mom and dad, very, particularly my mom. This family hurt us badly. You understand? One of the worst crises we had in our family was caused by this other family. A number about two years ago, a son that was born in that family found me. And he said, brother, I know that my, my, my parents hurt you, but I need help. I, I want to go to college, but I cannot afford it. And as soon as he told me that, the Lord told me, pay for his college. Now, I couldn't even tell my family, my brothers and sisters, that I'm about to send that kid from that family that hurt us. I'm about to send him to school. God spoke to my heart very clearly. Send that boy to school. So I asked him, I said, please, can you do me a favor? Don't tell anybody about what I'm doing. In fact, I don't like sharing this because it's a private thing for me. I'm sharing it with you so you understand what I'm trying to say. I'm not asking you to do things that the Lord has not told me to do. The Lord told me, bless that family. So what? For the last two years, I've been sending that boy to school. I'm paying his entire college and his room and board. Everything um, is on me. But here's what I say to the Lord. Father, I don't know if I'll be able to afford it because I've got other responsibilities. I'll take, I was taking care of my parents at the same time. I'm taking care of my grandmother. The only living grandparent I have is my dad's mom. I'm helping to take care of her. And I said, Father, sometimes, I'm, I'm, sometimes I have a lot, sometimes I have a little. I can never tell. But ever since I started taking care of that boy, there's been a supply that has come into my life I cannot explain. You understand? I've had partners that have come up to me, pastor, individuals don't, that don't even learn anything from my ministry, that are giving bigger than anybody who's ever received from my, my ministry. Out of the blue, they just say, God told me to send this to you on a monthly basis. What happened? I walk, walked into an overflow of the blessing of God. When what? When the Lord moved me up the supply chain to begin to bless someone from a family that damaged my own family. The Lord told me that boy was not at fault. He's a kid. Help him. And as soon as that began to happen, there's been a blessing in the last two years in my life. I wish I could a- a- explain this. I'm talking about debt cancellation. I'm talking about stuff you, you... It's unexplainable, the supply that the Lord has sent to me. Why? Because there's a blessing. Please hear me. Pastor has been teaching about increase, right? You don't walk in increase until you get what I'm, I'm hoping to share with you right now. Which is what? Don't always be a recipient of other people's favor. Become a person that goes up the supply chain to be a source of blessing for someone else. Anyone, listen to me, anyone to whom you are an answer to prayer, God will raise up another person to be an answer to prayer for you. Can I explain what it means? 
when somebody was stuck and they didn't know where to go and the Lord put you, put them on your heart and you call them out of the blue and you say, hey man, how are you doing? He says, oh, I'm struggling. And he says, the Lord has called me to pray for you right now. And after you pray for them, is there anything I can do to help? Oh, I needed help with this and you helped them. You were just, God used you to be a miracle in that person. Guess what happens? Because you were a miracle in that person's life, it means that God will now turn around and raise up another person to be a blessing to you. Let me share with you the story of David and Jonathan. You see, Jonathan, Jonathan, Jonathan was the son of King Saul. That means he was what? He was supposed to be the heir to the throne of Israel. But he had a friend by the name of David. And he recognized the grace of God was upon David. And he knew that David would be king one day. So when he saw his own father trying to kill David, he helped to protect David. And why? He just was doing it for David's sake. Jonathan and his father died in battle. Saul and Jonathan died on the same day. But Jonathan had a son called Mephibosheth. When, they, when, when the nurse that was looking after this boy heard that Jonathan and Saul had died, she tried to pick him up and run away with him in case the soldiers come to kill him. But she dropped him and he became crippled. And he spent the rest of his day in a country called Lodibar. He was living in abject poverty. The son of Jonathan was living in poverty. One day, when David was sitting on his throne as king of Israel, David turned around and he said, is there anybody left in the house of Saul so I might show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Let me show you what was happening. Jonathan had been a miracle in David's life. Now David was about to be a miracle in the son of Jonathan in Mephibosheth's life. Because for every person, God uses you to be an answer to prayer to them. God will raise up somebody else to be an answer to prayer. Maybe not for you, but for your child. Maybe not for her, but for her children. There is never a wasted good deed in our, with our God. Anything of kindness that you do, the Lord will raise up another to do the same for you. So watch this. Jonathan was not there to defend his crippled son. He was not there to fight for his crippled son. But in one day, he showed kindness to the house of David, not knowing that with that kindness, he had just secured the safety of his crippled boy. Are we okay? It's not enough to be blessed. Come on. It's not enough to be blessed. Say it with Charlie. It's not enough to be blessed. You have to be a blessing. That's what your father Abraham accepted. It was not the call to be blessed. The Lord could have blessed him in the earth called this. But the Lord told him, through you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And Abraham said, sign me up. Sign me up. How was this fulfilled in the life of his children? How was this fulfilled in his own life? When you go to the book of Genesis chapter 14, you know, uh, Lot is captured in battle by the kings of Sodom. You guys know the story, right? Five kings come and attack and they carry Lot into captivity. Abraham hears that Lot has been, his nephew Lot has been taken into captivity. Abraham assembles a military unit of 300 men that he raised in his own house. They go after five kings and they defeat them. He gets all the spoils. Now hear me good, hear me good. Let's find that story. Genesis chapter 14. I want to teach you a principle here. Are we doing okay? Yes or no? I hope you're getting this friends. Just speaking from the moment from what is full in my heart. This is not a sermon. It's a prophetic word from God. Amen. I'm speaking from what the Lord is laying upon my heart. I want you to understand the secret of the greats. 
The secret of the great is not give me, give me, give me, give me. Lord, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless my family, bless me. The secret of the great is, Father, lift me up so I can lift someone else up. Lord, bless me so I can bless somebody else. Lord, give to me that I might give to someone else. It is the secret of the great to be blessed so that you might be a blessing. Now, check this out. It says, um, and it came to pass, Genesis chapter 14. It says, in the days of Aphrael, the king of China, Arioch, the king of Elasa, and Chedorlaomer, the king of Elam, and Tidal, the king of the nations, that they made war with Berah, the king of Sodom, and Bresha, the king of Gomorrah, and Shinab, the king of Adma, and Shemera, the king of Zebon. And uh, it says, um, and all these joined together in the valley of Sidim, that is the Salt Sea. Twelve years they served Chedorlaomer, and in the thirteenth year they rebelled. Now, as we go all the way down, here's what happens. It says this uh, in verse 9. And Chedorlaomer and the king of, of Tidal and Amaram and all of this and, and uh, the valley of Sin. It says what? Uh, was full of uh, asphalt pits and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled. Some fell there. Then they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions. They also took Lot, Abraham's brother's son, meaning Abraham's nephew, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods and departed. Then one who had escaped came to Abraham the Hebrew, for he dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre the Amorite, the brother of Elisha. And he said to Abraham, they have, you know, they have taken your, your nephew Lot into captivity and everything that he owns. Abraham turns around and he takes 300 of, of, of you know, people that were raised in his own house. Let's read on. He says, and he divided forces against them by night. When Abraham heard that, let's read that. By night, and he and his servants defeated them and pursued them to Hobah, north of Damascus. Next verse. Then he brought back all the possessions and also brought back his kinsmen, Lot, with all his possessions and the women and the people. Read on. He says this. Uh, next verse, sir. Then they brought back all the possessions and also brought back his kinsmen. Can we go to the next one? After his return from the defeat of Chedorlaomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Chavez, which is the valley of kings. So the king of Sodom comes to Abraham in the valley of kings. Abraham has just defeated five kings. He's got all the supply from these five kings. And when the king of Sodom came to him and says, Abraham, you know, um, you know I'm glad you won this battle. So here's what I want you to do. Can you keep all the goods, but give me all the young men that you captured in battle? And Abraham said what? I will not take any of the goods. I will give you everything. The young men and all the goods. Why? Because it says, because I have lifted up my hands to the heavens. That I will not take anything from the king of Sodom. Lest what? Lest you walk around and you tell people that you are the ones who made me rich. So Abraham was saying, sir, I will not take anything from you. Because I don't want people to think that you made me rich. What? If I'm ever going to be rich, it's going to be God who does it. It's not going to be the Sodom system that makes me rich. So then Abraham goes ahead and the king of Sodom takes all the stuff. But whatever Abraham had captured for himself, he comes into the valley of Chavez and Melchizedek, the king of Salem. Now this is what you need to understand. Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of the Most High. Next verse. Next verse. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And he says, And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Now, here's what you understand about Abraham. So Abraham has won a mighty battle. And the king of Sodom said, you know, you can take this. And he says, no. He gives the king of Sodom all that belonged to the king of Sodom. But whatever belonged to Abraham, he kept. He goes into what is called the Valley of Kings. And a mysterious man called Melki. Melki means king. Sadek is from Sadiq. It means righteousness. His name means the king of righteousness. Melchizedek meets Abraham in the Valley of Kings and blesses Abraham. Now watch this. As soon as Abraham is blessed by Melchizedek, Abraham 
by his own volition, by his own decision, instead of just receiving, being blessed by this king, he turns around and he takes a tenth of everything he has and he blesses Melchizedek. Oh, God help me. Because sometimes what we do when we come to church, I want to be done soon, is... In the house of God, we don't give because God needs something we have. Because the Lord says, if I'm ever hungry, I'll not come to you. Because all the gold and silver is mine in the kettle on a thousand hills. So if I ever needed anything, I would not come and ask you for help. I already own it all. But in the kingdom of God, we give because we are activating the Abrahamic blessing and the Abrahamic call, which is what? Blessed to be a blessing. Whenever we walk, that's why I don't believe, you know, sometimes in the church when we want to raise money, we want to teach on giving. We don't teach on giving so that, so that we can raise money for the church. We teach on giving because we want to show you how to enter into the blessing of God. What happened? Did, was there a preacher that told Abraham to give? Was there, you know, African preacher telling him, you need to tithe, you need to give 10%? Nobody. Was there a law for tithing? No, because the law came through Moses almost 300 years later, 400 years later. So why was Abraham blessing Melchizedek? Because Abraham understood that I was not blessed to hoard. I was blessed to be a blessing. But what Abraham may not have understood, that this mysterious figure called Melchizedek is called the king of righteousness. Ah, in the book of Hebrews, it says Jesus is not of the line of Judah or the line of Levi. He's after the order of who? Melchizedek, which is what? The priestly kings. The kings who are priests. That's your DNA. Oh, someday may the Lord allow us to teach on the DNA of kings and priests which you're a part of. Abraham blessed a stranger. You understand? Why? I am blessed to be a blessing, my brother. As soon as I'm a blessing, I'm looking for who am I going to find to bless. Why? You didn't do anything for me. You never prayed for me. You never gave me anything. I just want to bless you. Why? That's the way I am. Now, Abraham, when he blessed this man, he did not know that he had just secured his entire bloodline with a blessing. What do I mean by that? The book of Hebrews said, when Abraham gave the tithe to Melchizedek, Levi, meaning his great-great-great-grandson, who was not yet born, was also tithing at the same time. He wasn't giving alone. His entire bloodline was part of that giving that was happening. Meaning blessings popped up in the line of Jacob, in the line of Isaac and Esau, in the line of Jacob and Esau, in the line of his 12 sons, all the way to Levi. The blessing was resonating in them because they are child without knowing it. When he blessed Melchizedek, he had blessed his entire bloodline. Why? Because when you're blessed to be a blessing, you walk in abundance. That's why the Jewish nation today, the physical bloodline of Abraham today, destroy them today, they will rise again. You persecute them, they will rise again. The worst persecution that was brought against the Jews in modern times resulted not in their undoing, but in the birth of their nation. So you understand, when Hitler exterminated six million of them, what came up was a country was born. How can a country be born through the worst trauma? Because you don't mess with this line. Why? Their fathers understood the power of being a blessing. And as they were a blessing, they were securing their bloodline to be blessed. You can take everything from them, and in less than one generation, they'll have earned it all back. 
Why? Because this is the blessing of Abraham. God help me. And it's a blessing offered to you because of your faith in Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 3 from verse 13. What? You know, it says what? It says, for the Lord has, has, has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Saying what? Cursed is he that hangs on a tree so that what? So that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles. When you said yes to Jesus and when you got baptized today, you are no longer part of whatever heritage your bloodline is, my brother. You have entered into the line of Abraham. The line that has favor with God. So abundance is your natural state for you and for your children. Blessing is your natural state, but not just for you. It's for you and your children so that you can be what? A blessing. Are we okay? I should be ending soon, right? How much time do I have? Eh, five minutes. I preached amongst the poorest people in Africa. When I got into the ministry, my job, you know, my ministry was in a little town called Chirezi in the southeast section of Zimbabwe. I come from a people that are steeped in so much witchcraft. If I told you about members of my own family, you wouldn't believe the stories. Because some of you are too westernized now. You know, been in America, you know, eating Chick-fil-A, you know. So if I told you about witchcraft, some of you would think I'm making things up. I have a sister who's two years older than me who died in 1991. Nobody understood how she died. She died very mysteriously. She had three very competent doctors, one German doctor, one Japanese doctor, one British doctor. Some of the top physicians in the world were working on her. They ran through a battery of tests and they could not understand why is this girl not feeling well because every result showed that she's supposed to be healthy. But she used to tell me, Felix, at night, I see one of our uncles, my, my, my father's older brother, he says, I see him and his wife coming to try and choke me and they have threatened me and they have told me you'll never rise because you ate a goat we cooked for you. I come from people that have been steeped in witchcraft. My own cousin, my sister died 31st of October 1991. I was fasting the night that she died. I know about darkness because I've experienced it. I don't come from a Christian family. I was one of the first in my family to get saved. I come from absolute darkness. My upper child, my father's father, was involved in multiple murders situations. Killed many, many individuals. He himself was a warlock involved in very high-level witchcraft. That's where I come from. I'm not telling you this stuff because it's just good reading or because it's good material for camp. I'm telling it to you because it's true. Because I saw what happened about breaking the cycle of, of, of misfortune in my family, breaking the cycle of poverty, breaking the cycle of struggle and toil. And I saw what it means to walk in the blessing of God. Ah, we've experienced something. My cousin, I had a cousin, first cousin. Her name was Florence. What Florence did is one morning she went and took out the ashes from the fire in her mother's kitchen. And when she threw them out, she began to scream holding her head. And she began to say, don't you see they are, they are choking me. Nobody could see what she was saying. So they ran to call the police. And when the local police arrived, all they could do is watch this girl. Her neck twisting, twisting, snapped, kept on twisting. Until by the time she died, she was facing the other way. And the police was present couldn't do anything how, how can you you don't know what to do is it a is it a is it convulsions why is her neck twisting like somebody's turning it more than just that when they picked up her body her entire side was now filled with maggots she was already decomposing you don't mess with my people my people if they threaten you with death you will die if you don't know jesus that's where i come from i wasn't born in bible college i was born in darkness in a place called Viambe. 
So then when I began the ministry, we began preaching. In one of the darkest places I've ever preached is a place called Perejena Chivi. It was a, a community of women and children because all the men in that community had died. I used to go there once a month with my youth group pastor. And every month I went there, I, pre I preached at a funeral because one of the last remaining men in that community had just died. So one day we took the battle to them because I got tired. Because one elderly gentleman who used to take me to these communities all the time, he was healthy, he was strong, he was a little bit older, but he was a strong guy. I went in there looking for uncle because he always met me and the team and then we would ride with him. So I'm waiting for uncle and say, where's uncle? says, he's not coming. I said, what do you mean he's not coming? They said, everybody's gathered at his house. What? He says, he's, he, he, he died. When did he die? Two days ago. I said, you're kidding me. That's when I took the, the, the team and I said, guys, we have to confront this darkness. We went into warfare and I, if I could tell you the things that happened in that warfare, but that spirit of death for males in that community was destroyed that day. We were dealing with the repercussions of that spiritual fight for months after that because the enemy was trying to hit us back. But here's what I then learned. I learned the Lord saying the way to break the cycle of poverty in some of these backward places was teach them about the power to be a blessing because they are used to receiving charity. Somebody's always being nice to them. Somebody's always giving to them. But they themselves have not yet learned to give. The Lord told me, you teach them how to give and you'll break the hold of the enemy. Why? Because now they're going up the supply chain. They're not just waiting to be blessed. They are becoming a blessing. You don't need much to be a blessing. You don't need to be rich to be a blessing. You just have to have a generous heart. And in that generosity of heart, even with the little that you have, when you exercise that system, you've entered into the Abrahamic covenant, into the Abrahamic blessing. So there was a poor blind man called Luke Mutomera. He used to be a blind beggar. Do you guys mind? Can I take just a few more minutes? I want to tell you about Luke. Because Luke has gone to heaven now. He's gone on to be with the Lord. But Luke was a blind beggar in my town. And uh, he came to my house one day because his public transportation that usually took him to his village, he missed the bus. So he had to stay until the next morning. So the elders in my church, I was a young guy in my early 20s. I had a house with, you know, in, the, in, in the spare room. So they said, can you look after brother Luke just for one night? So Luke and I became good friends. He told me, Pastor, can you please come to my house and pray for my son? Because my son is dying. So I drove my truck with Luke to his village. I had to stop about two miles from his village because the road disappeared. Any of you that have ever done ministry in North India, you know what I'm talking about, right? The road, there's no road. So you, you can have a four by four, you cannot drive because there's no road. So I had to park my, 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 my truck and him and I walked all the way to his village. When I got to that place, I've never seen poverty like that in my life. And I've seen poverty. Because he was blind, he tried to build a house, but everything was awkward. Nothing was symmetrical. I moved into that hut, and I started getting stung by lice. There were fleas and lice everywhere on the inside. And then I heard a kid coughing. <coughs> Non-stop. This little boy had whooping cough. He was a baby. Then his little wife, Luke's wife, brought this kid to me. Little stomach was like this with kwashioko because he had malnutrition. And he, was, he had what is whooping cough, that, you know, um, you know uh, uh, pediatric disease, whatever, called whooping cough. He's coughing nonstop. I held this kid in my hand and I thought he was going to die in my hands. And I broke down and I began to cry. I said, Father, please do something. Lord, please, as I'm doing this, I'm getting stung by fleas and lice. I said, Father, please do something. Lord, please. I lifted up this little boy. He was weighing like paper, like paper in my hands. He was like nothing, no weight on him. And I cried out to the Lord and then the coughing stopped. And when the coughing stopped, that kid is still alive today. He's already been to college. But let me tell you the, the story. When that story happened, I began to, dis I decided from that day forward, I was going to do whatever I can to look after Luke and his family. So a portion of my salary every month went to brother Luke and his family. 
I looked after them. I was buying them groceries. They were sending their kids to school from the money I was giving him. Then one morning, now Luke was a Christian. He knew the Bible better than I did because he read Braille. So I used to take him to some meetings, Pastor, and if I forgot a Bible scripture, I used to say, Mukoma Luke, which is like Luke chapter. I said, Mukoma Luke, what is that verse that says this? And he's blind, he used to say, 2 Corinthians chapter 2.15. He had a sharp mind for scripture, knowing the Bible, but still walking in poverty. Watch this. One day I'm praying, and in the morning, and here's what I felt the Lord saying to me. I felt the Lord saying to me, why do you despise Luke? And I got off my knees and said, what do you mean, why do I despise him? Why do you hate him? I said, Father, what do you mean, why do I hate him? I have been giving a portion of my salary to his family for months and months and months now. How can you ask me if I hate him? Then the Lord says this, then why are you not teaching him what is causing you to walk in blessing? Meaning what? Being given by people is not the key to a blessing. He has to learn how to. He was a blind beggar. I did not know how to tell him this. I was very nervous because I said, Lord, because, you know, I can just imagine people in the neighborhood. Hey, you know that preacher? Yeah. He went and he asked a blind beggar to give something. You can just hear people talk, right? It will be on the news. Hey, pastor, you know, pastor commands a blind beggar to give. All these people are interested in is what? Your money. Have you heard that? That comes from ignorant people. Because in the kingdom of God, there is nothing that unlocks the blessing more than you going up the supply chain and you being a blessing. So I did not know what to do and I was very nervous. But I felt the Lord had told me, I need to teach this beggar how to give. What is the first step of giving? Give your tithe, your 10%. Brother, how can you tell a beggar to do that? I don't make the rules, brother. I didn't write the Bible. So I went to Luke and I said, brother Luke, I said, you know, um, it's been, I've been blessed because I've been giving to you and your family. But the Lord has asked me to ask you this. You have to learn to give. He got so upset at me. He says, man of God, I feed my family from the little coins I get on the side of the street. How can God ask me to give anything? I have got nothing. And I said, brother, I don't know what else to tell you. But the Lord told me to tell you this. You have to learn to give. Luckily, one of my youth heard me when I spoke to Luke. So they came and they said, Pastor, can we do something? He says, on Saturday, we want to take a collection amongst the youth. And then we want to give that collection to Brother Luke. And then we're going to ask him, will you let us take 10% out? And we'll separate 10% and put it in his hands. So that when the offering bucket comes, a blind beggar can give for the first time in his life. So that week they went ahead and they did that. We know that Saturday we took a collection, the whole church. Um, you know, uh, they, they went to look and they said, this is how much you've made. Do you want us to separate 10%? He said, yes. They put 10% of that amount in his hand. And he waited there, blind, waiting for the offering bucket to come in. And for the first time in his life, quite possibly the first time in his generation, when that bucket went by, he put in his 10%. For the first time. The next week, he used to come to my house every weekend. I don't see him for six straight months. Six months. And I thought maybe I offended him. I said, Lord, Lord, I'm sorry if I offended the brother. What the youth had done, after they had also collected money, I know I'm running late, but you've got to hear this. After they had also collected money, one of them had given him a sports jacket, like a nice coat jacket. Another had given him some waterproof gumboots. We call them gumboots. I think you call them the same thing in India, right? Those waterproof boots. So six months, I don't see this blind man. I think maybe he's offended at me. I think maybe he's hurt by me asking him to give. Six months later, I'm at six o'clock in the morning at my house. I go to open my door and I cannot open my door. And then I look and there are sacks 
of corn, cantaloupe, pumpkins, and all kinds of produce on, on there. And then I look, and it's, it's Brother Luke, and he's hired a cart filled with all kinds of produce. And I said, Brother, what's going on? He says, Man of God, I've missed you. I said, I missed you. Where were you? He says, I couldn't come here because I have a story to tell you. I said, where is all this stuff coming from? He said, I harvested from my land. I said, what land? He says, remember, you asked me to give six months ago on Saturday. And I'm thinking, of course, how can I forget? He says, my brother, when I went back home, I was so filled with the spirit of generosity. Remember, the kids gave me a jacket and some gum boots. I said, yes, I remember. He says, I don't need boots because I, I, I don't walk with a stick. I fill the road with my feet. So I went and I took that jacket and those boots and I blessed the local chief. It fit him perfectly. So now he says this. Now at night, the chief could not sleep because he says what? I have been blessed by a blind beggar. Maybe God wants to kill me. <laughs> So he couldn't sleep all night. So two, two days later, he went to look and he says, Listen, son, I have a piece of land between 15 to 20 acres. It is a river that runs within it. It's on a nice slope. If you want that land, it is yours. I will give it all to you. And I accepted and I said, Yes, sir. Do you know what? I baptized Luke's whole family in that little river by their house. So now he's got 20 acres of land. I've never had 20 acres of land in my country. Right? So then, you know, the money that I had blessed him with, he went and he bought seed and he planted that rain season. The reason why he had not come was he had become a farmer. So for the next six months, we had too much rainfall so that entire community lost their crop. But because Luke's land was on a slope feeding into that river, it drained perfectly into the river. He had a bumper harvest. So he says, do you know what's happening right now, man of God? I said, what is it? He says, I am feeding my entire community. Why? From one break of a cycle, from being a gimme, 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 to going up the supply chain, the head and not the tail. He says, I feed my entire neighbor, neighborhood. I said, glory to God. I went and I dedicated his house on that property. He built a house there. I went and I baptized his entire family in that river. By the time he went on to be with the Lord, he owned more land than I ever owned. A blind beggar. That taught what I'm trying to tell you right now. You can wait and say, Lord, give me, give me, give me. Or you can go up the supply chain where you become the source of a blessing. And the Lord will secure your generations. What happened to his kids? College? Some of them are not even farming anymore. <laughs> They're pursuing other pursuits. How can blessing come to the house of a blind man? That's one of at least ten stories I can tell you. Are we Okay. If the Lord can do it, in a little place called Zaka, in Zimbabwe, to one of the poorest men I have ever known, if the Lord can break the cycle of poverty in his life and cause him to be a blessing, even though he was blind and even though he had been a beggar all his life, because of one act of activating the Abrahamic blessing, blessed to be a blessing, what more of you? You're already better blessed than he ever was. The Lord can do wonderful things through you. Make your way up the supply chain. It's not enough to be blessed. It's not enough to be blessed. That's how you walk into the abundance that pastor has been teaching you for the last few weeks. That's how you walk into the overflow. Let's all stand.
For some of you here, this could be the, you know, this could be the, the word that unlocks the next level for you. You're not supposed to be average, and when you try to be average, life never really works out for you. It's just miserable. I want to pray for people that genuinely want to walk in what I call a generational blessing. You don't want just to be blessed. You want your children's 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 children to, be, to walk in that blessing. I'm talking about people that genuinely want to step into this Abrahamic flow. And if you can say it with me, Pastor, that's, I feel that in my heart. That's what I desire to be. I want to pray for you before I leave. Is that okay? You shall be a blessing to this nation. You shall be a blessing to the nations of this world. You shall be a blessing to the, to the village where you came from. Wherever your parents or your uncles and your aunt cousins are, you'll be a blessing over there. You're going to be a blessing even to people that have hated you and people that have been mean to you and to your family because you'll walk in the spirit of generosity that animated great men like Abraham. And trust me, nothing will be withheld from you. God will bless you bountifully. If you know in your heart that you need this and that you desire it, I want you to show me by lifting up your hands so I know who I'm praying for. You know that as I was speaking, God was talking to you. We break every cycle of misfortune that has followed your bloodline. It ends with you. And I'm speaking right now the blessing of abundance. The overflow that was in the life of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The overflow that was in the life of Joseph. The, life of that, the overflow that was in the life of David. The generosity that was in all the patriarchs. It has become your character now. That's what you're known as. Not only are you blessed, but you're now blessed to be a blessing. My father, I thank you, I thank you, I thank you, I thank you. Uh, whatever has been the cycle of misfortune, for some of you, your family has always been followed by sickness and disease. You're breaking out of that sickness right now. For some of you, your, your family has always been followed by struggle. It's always been a struggle. To get ahead is a struggle. To get anything done is a struggle. Not anymore. I speak the blessing that maketh rich and has no sorrow with it. We break every misfortune, the spirit of sickness and disease that has followed you. We break that authority off of you right now. And I called you healed. But more, more, more than healed, you're a source of healing for others. For you shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Come on, lift up your faith, lift up your faith, lift up your faith before the Lord. Every cycle of misfortune that has followed your bloodline, it ends with you to this morning. It ends with you this afternoon. And a new level of blessing visits your home beginning now. Many shall be fed because of your hands. Your hands shall feed many. Your hands shall bless many. You shall give to many and you shall not borrow because you shall be the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not beneath. Say this with say Heavenly Father. Come on, say it out loud. Say Heavenly Father. Abraham's blessings are mine. I step into the Abrahamic covenant that is ratified in Jesus. Say, I step into the Abrahamic covenant that was ratified in Jesus. And I walk in divine favor. I walk in blessing. Because I am blessed to be a blessing. 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 I am blessed to be a blessing in the name of Jesus. Pastor, thank you. God bless you guys. Hallelujah.